0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 2 of Superman and Batman. I am your host, Michael Bradley, and the premise of this show is to talk about stories featuring your two favorite heroes, Superman and Batman, in one adventure together. Each episode, I'll be looking at Superman and Batman team-ups from throughout the years, but mostly chosen at random from the pages of World's Finest Comics, where the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight teamed up. Each issue for more than 30 years. Last time, in what was the first episode of the show, I looked at the very first full-story comic book team-up between Superman and Batman. The Mightiest Team in the World, from 1952's Superman number 76. But this episode, we are diving into the pages of World's Finest Comics for the very first time. In the interest of full disclosure, I did fudge the randomness just a little bit this episode... Because this is early in the podcast and last episode's story was Proto Silver Age, I wanted something radically different this time, just to better illustrate the range of issues that could pop up. So I ran it a couple times until one that was from a distinctly different era popped up. So this episode, the story we will be looking at comes from World's Finest Comics number 281, which was published during the Dollar Comics era of the title. In the late 1970s, DC took a half dozen of their anthology titles, bumped up the page count to 80 pages, and the price to a dollar. So those books were giving roughly four times the story count for about three times the price of a regular title. The line didn't exactly go as planned because of, well, mostly bad luck in the timing department, but the Dollar Comics branding lasted for about six years, even as page counts slowly dwindled. This particular issue was the penultimate one in World's Finest Comics' tenure as part of the Dollar Comics line, which ended in the fall of 1982, and the book's return to uh, standard size and price point. According to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, World's Finest Comics number 281 was released on April 29, 1982. The entire issue was edited by Dave Manak. Incidentally, the artist on all 50-plus issues of Marvel Comics' ALF comic from the late 80s. And it has a cover by Gil Kane, which shows Superman and Batman caught up in a whirlwind as four criminals laugh and sneer while they watch the hero's predicament on a huge computer monitor. Our 14-page story is titled War in the Streets, and credits are Carrie Burkett, writer, Irv Novak, artist, Frank Chiramonte Inker, Milt Snap, and Letterer, and Carl Gafford Colorist. General Scar, Colonel Sulphur, Major Disaster, Captain Cutlass. While they might sound like action figures in a bad G.I. Joe knockoff toy line, actually, individually, they are formidable foes of the world's finest team. But, joined together, they form a criminal army with devastating power a power that is used to mount a deadly assault on the city of Gotham and to launch an all-out war in the streets. In an underground bunker buried within an island in Gotham Harbor, the four villains plot and scheme that everything is going to plan. General Scar, who has the 80s supervillain trifecta of an absurdly on-point name, a severe disfigurement, and a chain-smoking habit, recaps the events of last issue where Captain Cutlass captured Batman and Colonel Sulphur disposed of Superman. The Sulphur in Colonel Sulphur, by the way, is presented with ye old English spelling of S-U-L-P-H-U-R, which tells me Colonel Sulphur is British. And if he did kill Superman, it was probably done in the most polite way possible. So, Scar continues on about how they've stolen weapons from Superman's Fortress of Solitude and how they're going to use them to attack Gotham City. Major disaster is going to cause distractions to keep the Justice League at bay, and Captain Cutlass's job is to lead an army of shock troops and seize control of the city's financial district. But little does Scar know that Captain Cutlass is actually Batman. It seems Batman escaped his prison, see last issue, and has taken Cutlass' place in the criminal's inner circle. Elsewhere, we find Superman, not dead as the villains suspect, but in a limbo dimension. Last issue, apparently, Sulphur hit Superman with a duranium time bomb, which paralyzed the Man of Steel within an energy stream of anti-time. Not pausing to consider the comic book gibberish, Superman struggles with all his strength. If he can't break free before he reaches the end of the energy stream, he'll be forever frozen within a single, unending moment. Back at the base, our Bond villain castaways finish twirling their mustaches and part ways, ready to put their dastardly plans into action. Captain Cutlass, a.k.a. Batman, slips away to a radio room, hoping to use it to contact help. But he runs into trouble when he finds a room occupied by nameless thug number one. But a kung fu kick to the gut, and Batman is free to radio the National Guard. Really? Really? I mean, that's where you're going first, the, the National Guard? You just can't call, I don't know, Martian Manhunter and say, Hey, buddy, lend a hand. I mean, even Hawkman at this point would be, you know, better than calling out the entire freaking National Guard. But meanwhile, in the anti time stream, Michigas, Superman's struggles have proved fruitless. But the Man of Steel thinks that he, if he can get his heart to start beating, he might be able to break free. Because apparently, when you're stuck in an energy stream of anti-time, that means your heart doesn't beat. Or something. I don't know. But, summoning all the comic book science his strength can muster, Superman restarts the rhythm beating in his chest, and starts to regain a sense of time's passage. But, the introduction of time into Superman's timeless state causes an explosion in the very fabric of anti-time itself propelling Superman out of the Limbo Dimension and into the deep space of the real world. And it's really better if you don't think about that too hard. While Superman recovers from his science ordeal, we switch back to Gotham City, where Colonel Muster er, er, Colonel Sulphur, fires a neutralizer, one of the devices stolen from Superman's fortress, which incapacitates every electrical device in the city. Cars stall, elevators stop, trains are halted, Somehow, though, Captain Cutlass's walkie-talkie still works as he gets the go-ahead from Scar to begin his assault. The disguised Dark Knight passes the marching orders onto his army and leads them right down a dead-end alley where they are quickly surrounded by the National Guard and taken into custody. In the melee, Batman slips away to another alley where he's met by his trusty butler, Alfred Pennyworth, who delivers a more familiar Union suit. And after changing clothes... Apparently just stripping down in the alley, but we're not going to think about that, the Dark Knight swings off, knowing that the hardest job still lies ahead. Back at the island base of the Legion of Reject Supervillains, Major Disaster watches a trio of monitors as members of the Justice League, Firestorm, Flash, and Wonder Woman for those playing at home, deal with volcanoes, earthquakes, and flooding that he has caused across the country. But the multiple calamities are taking their toll on Major Disaster's abilities. Something that only gets worse when Scar orders him to create another diversion so a second wave of soldiers can compensate for the captured troops. Moments later, as Batman scales a building where he thinks Sulphur has placed the Neutralizer, the sudden appearance of a tornado threatens his climb. The Dark Knight tries to hang on, but the wind is too strong, tearing our hero from the building and sending him plummeting downward. But the sudden appearance of a certain flying Kryptonian keeps Batman from becoming Bat Street Pizza. Superman deposits his friend on a nearby rooftop, always the safest place to be in a tornado, and flies off, speeding around the Twister in the opposite direction of its turn, causing it to disperse. On the island, Superman's attack is too much for major disaster's equipment, which causes it to overload and explode, rendering the villain unconscious. Back in Gotham, Sulphur sees Superman's heroics and starts to grab another Duranium Time Bomb to use against the Man of Steel. And don't worry, he didn't have any trouble finding them, since the weapons are inconspicuously stored in a bright yellow box marked Duranium Time Bombs. But a batarang knocks the device from Sulphur's hand, and after a bat punch to the face of Sulphur's guard, the villain is batcuffed as Superman arrives. Just then, Scar's face appears on a nearby computer monitor. The villain, who I'm sure will turn up in a Steven Seagal movie at some point, doesn't take time to explain why the computer monitor is sitting on a random rooftop, or how it avoided damage in a tornado, or why the neutralizer had no effect on it either, but instead he warns the world's finest duo that they might have bested his men, but he won't be taken out so easily. You see, Scar has the Destructo Cannon, another weapon pilfered from the Fortress of Solitude, pointed directly at the city. And if either hero comes after him, he'll destroy Gotham. After the Skype call ends, Superman tells Batman that the weapon could, quote, wipe out half the planet. And at this point, Batman turns to Superman and asks him why he has a weapon capable of destroying half the planet just laying around the Fortress of Solitude. Well, well, hang on. That's actually the second thing he did. Because the first question was, who came up with a name like Destructo Cannon? But when he asked that, Superman looked down and just kind of absentmindedly traced his foot on the ground and answered with a sheepish, well, I did. And then there was a good ten minutes of awkward silence as Batman realized that he who adds the prefix bat to everything really shouldn't throw stones about names. So, our heroes decide that there is only one course of action. And later, we catch up with General Scar, twirling his mustache, and plotting to rebuild his army for a fresh attack. But Scar's plans are short-lived, as the Batman appears behind him. True to his evil word, the General tries to fire up the Destructo Cannon, but is dismayed when he finds it doesn't work. He does, however, get a nice bat-right hook to his face for the trouble. Outside... We see Superman using the Neutralizer to, well, neutralize the Destructo Cannon. He then rejoins the Dark Knight as they round up the rest of Scar's men. And as our story comes to a close, Superman turns to the camera and says that Scar is now their prisoner, but that this adventure has taught him that the only thing worse than doing time is having to do without it. Wah-wah. You'd think the lesson here would be, Let's not leave planet-destroying-weapons laying around the house, but whatever. You know, for all my ridiculing and poking fun, I really enjoyed this one. After I read the story and started to do my notes, the first thing that came to mind was that my only real complaint was that plot-wise, it felt like I only got the end of a story. But then I remembered, that's exactly what I got. Since this issue was continued from the previous, and apparently issue 279 as well. And that's one hazard of doing random issues. Um, Professor Allen mentioned this on an early episode of the Quarterbend podcast. When you do just pull random issues, you will at times get thrown into the middle of a story, and it could be awkward and, and leaving you feeling disoriented. Or the opposite problem could happen that we might read an issue at some point and get left on a cliffhanger. Thankfully, a majority of the issues of World's Finest Comics are self-contained. It wasn't until really around this era that they started having more multi-part stories on occasion, and, and, and even when they did have those multi-part stories, those two- and three-issue tales were more new-reader-friendly than, than today's multi-issue sagas. And that's, that's not uh, meant to be a criticism of today's comics. It's just a, the way comics are told today is it's a much different approach than in 1982. Uh, plus, I really feel a good comic and a well-written comic will be able to catch you up to speed in the first few pages and fill you in on what you need to know. And I think this issue did that pretty well. If it weren't for the editorial footnotes on the first pages, honestly, I probably wouldn't have even noticed that I had missed the first two chapters because it was well written enough that I fell seamlessly into the story. I probably still would have walked away feeling that I had only read the last part of the story, but Burkett did a good job here of not making it feel like I was jumping into the middle of a story, which I really, really appreciated. The villains... (laughs) You know, they're just all comic book action movie villains. Uh, Major Disaster probably is the best known. General Scar and Colonel Sulphur are both obscure Batman villains that had had a couple appearances before this story arc. And Captain Cutlass was actually brand new for this story. But clearly they were, they were grouped together because of the military motif and their names – even though major disaster was a pun name not a, not a military thing but you know they work in the story and for what they are they're fine you you can't have lex luthor every single story and i do love groups of themed villains like the royal flush gang or here we have the, the army of crime so they definitely had that going for them I would love to know how these yetzes got their hands on weapons from the Fortress of Solitude, though. I did not go back and read either 279 or 280, where I'm sure it's explained. We were talking about the downsides of random issues. Part of the fun in that is kind of recreating the experience of a kid buying a random issue from a spinner rack and being able to enjoy that. And in the show here... I want to be able to just take an issue and talk about that and and not have to worry about reading you know, months of issues to talk about one. So when we have issues like this, I don't plan on reading the first chapters, even if it does leave me wondering about certain plot points. To me, it's just part of the fun. And who knows, maybe those other issues will come up down the road and we'll learn them. I do wish we had seen more interaction between Superman and Batman. Uh, More teamwork. As it is, they spent most of the story apart and really only met up at the end. But sometimes it's just going to be like that. And my guess is that they spent more time working together in earlier chapters uh, before Superman was quote unquote killed and Batman was taken prisoner. Uh, But otherwise, I really enjoyed this one. And art wise, it was really good as well. Nothing really to write home about, but even, even this late in his career, Irv Novik drew a solid Batman and a decent Superman, and sometimes that's really all you can ask for. So that is World's Finest Comics number 281. Right now we're going to take a break, and then we'll be back for the second segment of the show. The Dawn of an
1: Age The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We are all alive.
2: I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore.
1: Look what's happening to you. You are...
2: Angel. Oh Reed,
1: not you too! What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly! We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For
2: soon the Mo man will have the entire world in his power!
1: I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth, and now mankind shall feel that's might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they
2: dream, they're but palms in the hands of Dr. Doom.
0: Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings know can't
2: change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the fantastic four no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatat, king of kings, master of men, and lord of the seven sons. You're just a muscular freak! Blind or halt! Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo! My, My journey has ended This planet shall sustain has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus! Flame on! It's quambering time!
1: The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast, FFcast, Lipsyn. .com Do you enjoy time travel in general and the silver age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan and I will be your host. Together we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the silver age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman, and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at... The Superman Fan Podcast which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at Superman at gmail.com And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape.
0: Like a lot of issues of world's finest comics from this era. This issue has not been reprinted, but fortunately you should be able to find a copy in the back issue bin without too much difficulty. And 80s issues of the title don't command outlandish price points, so you might even find it in the 50-cent bin if you look hard enough. As I said earlier in the show, during the Dollar Comics era, DC eliminated ads from the books. They were starting to creep back in by this point, but there's really not too much to speak about here. Uh, There's an ad for something called Triple Flips, which appears to be a card game of some type. And then there's a couple ads for candy and your basic hodgepodge and bodybuilding ads. Just your standard comic book fare from around this time. The second feature in the book is a Green Arrow story by Joey Cavalieri, Trevor Von Eden, and Larry Malstead called The Forgotten People. And that's followed by a Hawkman story, Out into Space in Ships by Answerman, Bob Rosakis, Alex Saviuk, and Frank Chiriamonte. And the final feature in the book is a Captain Marvel story called The One Worm Monster Society by E. Nelson Bridwell, Don Newton, and John Conan. I didn't read any of those before this episode, but I definitely want to go back at some point and read the Captain Marvel story because glancing through it, it looks like Both Kid Eternity and Mr. Mind play a big part in the story, and I I really do like both of those characters. Uh, This issue also has a letters page, which at this time was called From the World's Finest Fans, and that has a trio of letters addressing issue number 275, but since that issue hasn't been a focus of the episode, I'm just going to skip over that for now, but we might come back to it if we ever cover 275. Um, Instead, let's head on over to Mike's Amazing World and hop into the time machine for a look at what else was going on in the stands. There are considerably more books this time than last episode. We're not going to go through them all, but books that stood out to me were... Well, first, there's DC Comics Presents number 47, which happens to be the first issue of that title I ever read. Uh, I didn't read it until at least a decade after it came out but it features Superman and the Masters of the Universe and growing up I had several He-Man figures in my toy repertoire so it was pretty much a given that I would be drawn to that title Uh, Brave and the Bold number 188 has a team up between Batman and the Thorn and I think if I remember correctly I think that that was the Thorn's first appearance outside of the Superman books. Uh, The character had a long, well, maybe not long running, but uh, had a backup in the pages of Lois Lane for a couple years and then made a few appearances in Superman stories themselves. Uh, But then they had this uh, team up in Brave and the Bold, and then I think that's the last appearance of the character until post-crisis. Superman number 373 has a Vartox appearance. you got to love that. And looking ahead to Superman Family number 220, it looks like Supergirl squares off against the Master Jailer. So, all kinds of good villains in the Superbooks this month. And Legion of Supervillains number 289, which means that book is gearing up for the Great Darkness Saga, which started in issue uh, 290. On the Marvel side, I really don't know too much about Marvel from this era. I, I am primarily a DC guy, but I do see that uh, Daredevil number 185, which is about three-quarters of the way into the Frank Miller's run, and in Fantastic Four number 244, it looks like they're taking on Galactus. Like I said last episode, be sure to write in and let me know what you think of the show. Also, if there's a specific issue of World's Finest Comics or a Superman and Batman story outside of the title even if it's from a more recent you know, comic book era that you want me to cover, draw me a line and let me know. Uh, but that's it for this time. I'll be back next episode with another random issue of World's Finest Comics. As always, I want to thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to Michael at GreatCrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at GreatCrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed. So that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I’d love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman- related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at Supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Siegel where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening, and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together
2: In this time of introspection On the eve of my election I say to my reflection God please spare me more rejection Cause my peers they criticize me And my ex-wives all despise me Try to put it all behind me But my redneck past is nipping
0: Closing music was Army by Ben Folds 5 from their 1999 album The Unauthorized Biography of Reinhold Messner. If you'd like to get this song or the album, the best way to do that is to head over to 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, digital download, or pretty much anything else your heart desires, and 2 True Freaks will get a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks related podcasts.